the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, the priest was in white for Corpus Christi, and the week before that for Trinity Sunday, before that for Pentecost. Now you might expect, finally, for the priest to be in green. You have now two weeks when the daily mass could have been in green in what's called ordinary time, even though that phrase doesn't really exist in Latin. It's just the time of the year, counting the weeks of the year. But instead, today is June 29th. And June 29th is always the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, and so read for the martyrs, the apostles. Occasionally we have days that are solemnities that are not holy days of obligation in this country, but even still, as solemnities, they would be celebrated on Sunday, in the same way that Christmas is, of course, when December 25th falls on a Sunday, we celebrate Christmas on that day. And so similarly for St. Joseph um, or for, uh, for today's saints, Saints Peter and Paul, uh, we celebrate them instead of the 13th Sunday of the year. But why Saints Peter and Paul? You know, in the city of Rome, there are churches dedicated to all sorts of saints. And the most popular saint to whom churches are dedicated is, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And the second most popular saint to whom churches are dedicated in the, in the Diocese of Rome is not an apostle, it's not a bishop, and it's not even a priest. It's a deacon, St. Lawrence. And so still in this, in this city, which is home to our Holy Father, the Vicar of Christ, Rightfully, it celebrates with unique solemnity Peter and Paul. Not necessarily because they are the smartest or the bravest. In similar fashion, St. Peter was chosen to be the Prince of the Apostles, not necessarily because he was the smartest or the bravest, but he was particularly suited to being the source of unity for the church. He was obviously particularly disposed to being guided by heaven. It was God who revealed to him that our Lord is the Messiah, is the Christ. And he would be continually open to guidance from heaven as he continued after Pentecost, although still not perfect or impeccable in his behavior, still reliable and authoritative in teaching the truth. Angels would visit him to reveal to him the truth, and saints would be sent to him to keep him on the right track. Famously, St. Paul, who also received a personal mandate from the risen Lord to go and evangelize the world, would himself have to confront St. Peter. The details of that are in the bulletin. I encourage you to read um, and, and to follow the biblical citations, to read about St. Peter and St. Paul and their interaction. For good reason, the church celebrates them together. And we celebrate them together not only on this day, June 29th, when we celebrate their martyrdom, even though they didn't die on the same day, and they probably didn't even die in the same year. We also celebrate them together on November 18th, when we celebrate the dedication of the basilicas 
dedicated to each of them. The Basilica of St. Peter, which is on the Vatican Hill, and the Basilica of St. Paul, which is south outside the walls of the city of Rome. Those churches weren't always churches, or I should say those locations were not always the site of churches, but they were always from the first century the site of pilgrimage to visit the remains of these two great saints. And so then the basilicas that were built on top of them, St. Peter's, which remains largely intact, although partially uh, damaged by a fire, and St. Peter's, which was in the 16th century, torn down and rebuilt, those churches have always laid claim to being the site of the remains of these two great apostles, these two great teachers of the faith. Peter, who taught and governed the church, and Paul, who preached and, uh, and wrote. In 1939, when Pope Pius XI passed away, he had already made it clear that his desire was to be buried in the crypt underneath St. Peter's Basilica. The crypt, which is uh, very accessible now, by means of four staircases, one on each corner near the main altar of St. Peter's Basilica, was at that time very dark and not very spacious. Only a short Italian of the Middle Ages would have fit down there, let alone an Italian of the 20th century. And so in order for Pius XII to accommodate his predecessor's request, he certainly couldn't raise the ceiling of the crypt because the ceiling of the crypt is the main floor of the basilica. Instead, he lowered the floor of the crypt and also um, provided for it being well lit and well uh, ventilated so that the public could come and venerate the tombs of the saints, especially to the tombs of so many popes who were buried down there. There had been a particular incident in the 16th century when a worker involved in the rebuilding of the new St. Peter's Basilica, fell partially through the floor. The floor in which he was working gave way, and um, he fell down into a compartment which was lavishly decorated with mosaics in the ceilings. And instead of thinking, this is wonderful, we can finally try to find the tomb of St. Peter, uh, with great uh, haste and fear, they just sealed it up and kept on, but they didn't seal him down there, but they sealed up the hole and continued on with the St. Peter's Basilica that we see now. And so it was then during the Nazi occupation of Rome that this excavation took place in the early 40s, with workers coming, with, coming out of the, the catacombs underneath St. Peter's Basilica with dirt in the pockets of their jeans, with holes cut out so they could shake the dirt out as they walked away from St. Peter's. Eventually, Pope Pius XII and his workers knew that they had discovered the original tomb of St. Peter. In that original tomb, however, weren't bones of a human being. But that original tomb had been encapsulated in a marble box with purple stone, the front of which you can see when you visit St. Peter's Basilica and you approach the main altar, and you look down the steps into what's called the Confessio, and you see this, this marvelous um, piece of, of sculpture and a mosaic of our Lord with a golden box in front of it. 
flanked on either side by a, a band of purple marble. And yet there's one little feature that will throw you off if you notice, which is that the center line of St. Peter's Basilica doesn't fall directly over that original tomb of St. Peter, which lies between those purple bands of marble, directly underneath the golden box, which just a few hours ago was approached by Pope Francis, and out of which were removed the, the woolen pallia, which were then given to every new metropolitan archbishop as a sign of his unity with Peter. Instead, the center line of St. Peter's church is off by a few inches. And in fact, that marble box with the, with the purple stone is asymmetrical. There's an extra piece of it over on one side. And the excavators who were working under the direction of Pope Pius XII found inside that extra wall a secret compartment with the bones of a man in his 60s or 70s, with bone fragments from every part of his body except for his feet, all of which were wrapped up in purple cloth with gold thread and very similar to the graffiti found in the catacombs of St. Sebastian, where the remains of St. Peter and Paul were interred for a time when Rome was being sacked. There's a little piece of graffiti, in fact, so small that we just call it a graffito. And it just says, Petrus Eni, Peter is within. Without being able to historically verify that those bones, in fact, belong to that unique man, we know for certain that this is the original tomb of St. Peter. And almost certainly, the eventual resting place of his earthly remains. And so the center line of St. Peter's Basilica isn't directly over the original tomb, but lies just a few inches off to the right, directly in between, equidistant from that original tomb and that eventual tomb. Why does this matter? Well, as a young boy, formed by the faith of Padre Pio and dedicated to Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of Fatima, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, there was one great miracle that captured my attention. The miracle of Peter of Prague, that priest who went to pilgrimage to Rome to rediscover his faith, which was waning, but didn't find it there, even praying at the tombs of St. Peter and St. Paul. And so this 13th century pilgrim headed back and left Rome seemingly unsuccessful in his quest. A few days north of the city of Rome, just outside the town of Orvieto in Bolsena, this priest was offering mass at the tomb of St. Christina. And when the host was consecrated, blood came down on his hands and on the corporal. The Pope nearby who was staying in the town of Orvieto, a witness to the evidence of this miracle, declared a year later the feast, the solemnity of Corpus Christi, which we just celebrated a week ago. That bull, that papal bull, is historical fact. The prayers composed by St. Thomas Aquinas for the sake of that solemnity are one of the great treasures of our spiritual patrimony. Yet some of the details of the story of the history of Peter of Prague aren't exactly verifiable. 
And so the 23-year-old who was in the city of Rome as a seminarian, and now the 43-year-old standing before you, found an even deeper reason to be certain of the faith no matter what, even when doubts or questions would creep in. Why is St. Peter buried in Rome? And what does it mean to us? Here is a man who had denied our Lord three times. And even though our Lord told him beforehand, you are going to deny me, and afterwards, having been sifted like wheat and sustained by my prayers, you will confirm the brethren, you will remain the prince of the apostles, And so Peter three times reconciled to the Lord after the resurrection. Easily could have just simply gone back to his life of fishing. Whether he be a good fisherman or a bad one, it doesn't matter. There were many purported messiahs in that day. There were many people who followed and proclaimed these supposed messiahs. But when the supposed messiah was killed, people simply went back to what they were doing before, unless they were caught up in the killing as well. Peter escaped. He claimed, I don't even know the man. And so if our Lord had not risen from the dead, there would be no reason for Peter not to have continued on that trajectory, back to the Sea of Galilee, back to the people who knew him, back to what he had done for a living before. But no. Peter spent the rest of his life proclaiming the resurrection. St. Jerome tells us that he lived in Rome and governed the church from Rome for about 30 years. And died there. Not huddled in a locked room for fear of the world like a cult. But the apostles went to every corner of the world. And wisely so, the prince of them went to the capital of the known world, to Rome. The last place to go if our Lord wasn't resurrected and if all these claims weren't true. But the best place to go to be able to convert the world and proclaim the truth. And so that tomb and that altar above it and that baldacchino towering over it and that dome which can be seen from miles away doesn't proclaim merely the fact that this man died here and is buried here, but it proclaims that what happened 2,000 years ago is true because otherwise he wouldn't be here. There are many believers who are devout in their faith who fear investigating the veracity of its claims. And there may have been a time when society supported our way of life so well that we didn't have to provide reasons. But those days are gone. We have to be the courageous witnesses who verify what we say and know of what we speak 
and can explain why it makes sense. That our Lord would establish a church and abandon it would make no sense. But when God establishes a church, he intends it to last and promised that it would. And the gift of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost doesn't guarantee that all of the responsibilities of the church will be carried out perfectly. He doesn't guarantee that the governing of the church will be always wise and prudent. He does guarantee that when the church sanctifies, when its sacraments happen, that his grace really is communicated. And he does guarantee that when all the church is convinced of the truth, that he is the one speaking through them. And so that gift of the Holy Spirit, which binds us all together, and which guarantees when all of us are unanimous in a proclamation of faith, we are proclaiming the truth, that same gift of the Holy Spirit is enjoyed by the College of Bishops collectively. And that same gift of the Holy Spirit is wielded by the Pope singularly. Which doesn't mean that he was the smartest or the bravest, but it does mean that he uniquely already was or has become so docile to the Holy Spirit that despite whatever sins he might have, despite whatever imprudence he might inflict, he teaches the truth. And he is the, the one who binds us together in unity. We as Catholics know that the Pope isn't a superhero. He does have a cape though. He's not a superhero who has unlimited power to say whatever he wants to say and know that it's the truth. Oh, it's the exact opposite. He is the singular one upon whose shoulders lies the burden of ensuring that what is taught is consistent with what was given us by Christ. He's not to be envied, he's to be pitied. There's a reason why we pray for him at every single mass and why we are bound to love him and to care for him. And so we celebrate not just a singular fact of the, f the first of these vicars of Christ, whose successors are known as Pope, as Papa, as Father for us, and his counterpart, who is always celebrated in conjunction with them, St. Paul, the great preacher to the Gentiles. We celebrate and rejoice in what God has worked through the Holy Spirit to establish the church, which teaches the truth and sanctifies souls and then governs those who are sanctified, us. We celebrate the miracle of history that the Catholic Church was founded by God and that it's not the work of that singular man there, but it's the work of each and every one of us. And we know that the Lord demands of us something greater perhaps than what was demanded of, of generations previous. To be willing to suffer, to be willing to endure persecution, and to learn on our own perhaps what we were not taught the why and the how of the truth of the faith 
convinced not that this is my religion and I'll always have it, but this is the truth and that's why it is my religion. And so not with pride, but with humility and joy, we know that we proclaim the same faith that was given to the apostles, witnessed by Mary and sustained by the Holy Spirit. The pilgrim to Rome sees from miles away a dome and can walk for many minutes and even an hour knowing that they're approaching it. But the dome doesn't get any bigger. It's so big. It's only when you're within a few blocks of it that the size of it begins to fill the horizon. And it's when you're inside the arms of the colonnade of St. Peter's Square that you realize that this is a testament, not just to an architect of a building, but to the architect of a church, God. And inside the doors, under the dome, under the baldacchino, below the altar, inside that marble and purple box, is the rock on which Christ built his church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.